Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Stuart Keller with Lloyd-Jones Capital, a Miami-based private equity firm who specializes in multifamily and senior living. And today, we're going to talk a lot about senior living as a class. I find it very exciting, but we both know, and I think we all know, it's not the not the sexiest, but I think when you hear about the returns and about the advantages from a real estate and risk-adjusted return perspective, you'll, you'll, you'll see what we mean. Stuart, welcome on the show. Ben, absolutely stoked to be here. Um, looking forward to catching up and uh, you know, really diving into kind of what what the future of senior living holds for for the United States and and our investments. Yeah, I'm excited as well. But before we get into it, I'd love to hear about your first milestone in real estate. You know, so my my background, um, you know, I was after grad school, uh, got a master's degree in international economics and you know, first first foray into real estate private equity was uh, as as green as possible. Um, working for a boutique shop out of Orlando, um, basically buying um, REO bank owned assets and non performing loans. Um, you know, following the two thousand eight crash in two thousand ten, did that for about three years. Um, moved into operations uh, in multifamily, uh, overseeing uh, properties as a regional manager. Uh, given my background and kind of heavier finance, um, moved into a regional vice president role, did that for about seven years, um, you know, and then back in 2018, uh, joined Lloyd-Jones originally to oversee the management uh, side of the shop. And then five months in, uh, I guess, just kind of my my financial experience and the reports I was doing and delivering, uh, I was actually appointed to be head of uh, asset management. Um, where I really took our asset management division to next level. Um, you know, getting back to your question, my my first major milestone um, was probably when I was in asset management um, here at Lloyd Jones, and it was the first loan that I had ever done a refinance on, and it was a it was a sticky deal. It was a CMBS note. Um, you know, it was it was very much kind of feeling my way along, um, really understanding how the different refinances worked, what it looked like. It was a small loan. It was like $3 million or something. But, you know, that was probably my first time of doing something completely independently um, and really running point on on all facets of of a project. Awesome. So what was the what did you learn from that? The level of detail that goes into, you know, it doesn't matter the size of the loan, um, whether it's a hundred million dollar loan or whether it's a million dollar loan, when it's collateralized by commercial real estate, there is a significant amount of uh, hoops to jump through. And it was, you know, just being able to deliver, execute, um, and make sure that 
all of the different parties from our council to lenders council to your investment partner, their investment partners council. Does your investment partner also have a limited partner? Being able to ensure that everybody's on the same page and you're also following in accordance with you know, the various operating agreements from both a partnership level and an LP level. Yeah, well, I guess that's why they call it a relationship business. You know, yeah, every deal absolutely. has tons of parties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, awesome. I'm glad that's, a, that's pretty interesting and sounds um, like a cool experience. Well, let's get into it. So let's start. What's the silver tsunami that we're all, we're all hearing about? Yeah, so the uh, silver tsunami. So back in 2018, um, you know, 10,000 baby boomers started turning 65 every single day. Now, mm -hmm. fast forward to 2022, that same leading edge of baby boomers started turning 75. So what you're actually seeing within the United States right now is this rather significant demographic shift, both in terms of the number of seniors, but the ratio of those 65 and older and those 18 to 64. So what you're seeing right now is the number of baby boomers are going to, it, it's going to quickly accelerate. And as such, you know, senior living is very much a need-based um, housing or, you know, living uh, community versus a want-based. So when you get into the different levels of senior living, you know, you've got your, your age restricted, which is, you know, very much um, very similar to multifamily, but with the age component. And then you move into the independent living, um, assisted living and memory care. And as you elevate within each level of care, so does your operating expenses, so does your rent, and so does the technical component of being able to care for the residents. And to really make things even spicier, um, when you look at just the, the total available housing, and this is before supply chain, this is before um, COVID, you know, the senior living, and this is just raw data that I've pulled um, from Statista online, is when you look at, you know, they've been delivering anywhere from 35,000 to 50,000 units a year. The peak was in 2018 to 2019, they had delivered 65,000 units. Um, so based on the number of seniors turning 75, by 2030, if one in five, so 20% choose to live in a senior or need to live in a senior living community, just 20% of those folks, there's going to be anywhere from a 1 million to one and a half million unit shortfall. On the flip side, you're like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're still building. Well, in 2021, we're actually at the slowest rate of new construction deliveries over the past 10 years. Um, if not the past 15 years, I do have to kind of look at the statistics again. But then, okay, yes, so there are units being delivered, but the units that are being delivered by new builders are targeting the top 10 or 20% of those senior citizens. So they're much more expensive. And they're also in the top five major markets within the Sun Belt. So yes, the units are being delivered but they're being delivered in the wrong areas because 80% of seniors choose to return home to where they grew up, to where a majority of their family lives, um, 
when they enter or choose to live in a senior living facility. So you're seeing this really dynamic shift between, you know, you've got this, you know, demand that's coming. There's not, it's not an if, it's not a maybe, it's a, it's coming. It's going to be a full-blown crisis by 2030. And what we're doing here at Lloyd-Jones is like really taking a philanthropic, you know, approach to private equity saying, okay, you know, we're going to target the middle market. Senior living, you know, kind of what we, what we spoke about before the call is, you know, it's not sexy. You know, it's had this kind of uh, stigma around it. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a nursing home. Like even my wife the other day was like, oh, isn't it just a nursing home? I'm like, no. Like you walk into these communities and it's like you walk into a hotel. It's a community. There's music playing. There's there's smells. There's activities. There's dining rooms. You walk into these communities and it's just, it is a full living experience for these residents. And the the need and our our approach and delivery is to really target the 60% by enhancing the living experience but not charging the Ritz-Carlton prices we want to have a Ritz-Carlton experience but at a bed and breakfast you know rate right so wow we got a lot to unpack now so yeah i would love to stick on the theme of the missing middle i know i've heard this idea before that you know, most of the people who are developing these projects trying to target the top end because that's where you get the 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 highest rents. Um, yeah. And there's a, the the uh, entire business is very operationally expensive, right? The opex ratio or the percentage of your income that goes to costs are higher yeah. than most asset classes. So, I want to know how are you able to reach the missing middle without you know, getting too squeezed, um, you know, what strategies do you have to make it profitable for you and also still deliver the quality that, that people that we'd, we'd love to make sure everyone has? Yeah. So, um, you know, great question. The, um, you know, our, our approach and what we're seeing a lot right now in the market is you've got these major institutions that just got absolutely hosed um, during the pandemic. You know, it was incredibly saddening to see the disproportionate impact on senior citizens um, due to COVID-19. Um, you know, these residents either moved home or unfortunately they passed away due to complications from COVID. The policies in place, you know, whether it's at the community level, the state level, or the federal level, prevented new residents from coming in and moving into these communities. So you saw the sharp decline in occupancy a sharp decline, you know, revenue is price times quantity. So when your quantity goes down, but your price is static, you know, your total revenue is going to go down, your cash flow is going to go down. So these properties were offsetting and causing, you know, net losses, whether they were owned by a REIT or whether they were in a portfolio or a fund. So what we're doing right now is we're working with these different institutions, these REITs and brokers finding opportunities, buying them right, um, you know, and then being able to invest CapEx dollars and still provide favorable returns. Now, great, couple great examples. Um, you know, we have a deal in Valparaiso, Indiana. You know, very few people have heard of Valparaiso. Population's like 50,000. It's actually home to one of the best universities in the Midwest. Um, 
but we bought it for 9.5 million. The who we bought it from, they paid uh, 16.5 million. And the prior owners before that bought it for almost 19 million. So our basis at, you know, little over 200,000 per unit is well below replacement cost. So you've got this kind of built-in equity right up front. And the key strategy is to, you know, enhance the community, give it a refresh while still maintaining what the seniors desire. And then, um, you know, just moving the residents in through effective advertising, effective customer service, um, and being able to maintain higher revenue to offset, you know, the, um, the operating expenses. So, so yeah, that, that's, that makes sense. Something I'm curious about is given that we know the demand is going to go up and supply is lagging demand, right? That usually, if you go back to econ 101, that usually means prices go up. I wonder how much risk is there that even if since I mean, even though demand's there, supply and you know price is going up, what's the risk that people just simply can't afford it, no matter how much they need it? Um, would that force them into just moving in with their kids? Would that find some other solution like just normal housing? Um, you know what what are the other options for people? And um, I guess just to build in a little bit more to that. Do you think about how fixed or some people are paying with fixed income, you know, retirement plans, um, how your prices need to correlate with that? Is that something you think about? And or is it more this kids or other people helping them pay for for, for housing? Yeah. So I'll I'll address that that kind of last question first. Um, so when we're underwriting deals, you're looking at not only of the income qualification of the resident, whether they're going to pay for that out of their savings um, or if they're going to pay for that out of the equity in their home. So typically what you see is this affordability index when you underwrite a property. You know, typically to be income qualified, it's anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 a year. Um, the average length of stay for a senior living community is between two and two and a half years. Now, you're also going to be looking at the income demographics of the family members of the sons and the daughters of these residents. So that's also going to, you know, take into account a big play. Now, you know, understanding the affordability is crucial in where you set your rents. Um, on the flip side of that, you mentioned something about, you know, seniors living at home. You know, that's okay to a point, but the level and the kind of technical aspect of the skill level of care, you know, if you have a, if you have a parent um, or a loved one that has dementia, whether it's early onset, you know, one of the characteristics of someone with, you know, cognitive impairment is that they wander, you know, you don't want them going out of the house. So there's definitely a I don't want to call it security issue, but you have a kind of containment issue that safety, living at home safety is safe precisely. Now, fast forward even more is the ratio of those 64, 18 to 64 in the 50s was almost five to one, meaning there were for every, you know, five people, 
ages 18 to 64, so working, relative to those 65 and over was five to one. With the, what the silver tsunami is doing is we're actually going to see that ratio approach a one-to-one where zero to 18-year-olds is going to become the lowest um, percentage of the population that we've ever seen. So there's going to be a disproportionate share of those needing senior care relative to those that can deliver it. So from that standpoint, I mean, there's there's going to be very much a need-based demand. Now, if it's a independent living, like my my father-in-law, for example, he's 86, you know, guy's still hanging hurricane shutters, you know, at, at his house, at, you know, at his house in Southeast Florida, drives my wife nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, if it gets to a point that he just needs a little help, or maybe he doesn't, you know, doesn't want to live at home by himself anymore, yes, then that would be a great opportunity for him to move in. But if there's like cognitive issues, cognitive impairment, I don't want him getting up at 2 a.m. and turning on the gas stove. Like that just not going to happen. If he needs help getting his medicine delivered to him or, you know, measured, that's not something that I'm qualified to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. First thing, given the population, you know, disparity in the ages, don't forget to have kids, guys. <laughs> we definitely we need that we need to replace the population we need uh people who are productively contributing to society uh to support well, and that, and all this. that'll be a you know 18 to 25 year lag you know even right. if we just started getting after it right now you know what i mean there's childhood and then getting a job and then being able to you know six-figure income you know it's going to take a bit so a lot longer than you know, the next, you know, five to seven years when, when the, you know, full effect of the silver tsunami is here. Well, it sounds like there might be an opportunity because I heard there was a shortage of labor in the, um, I guess, skilled labor, nursing labor in the senior living, assisted living, um, the entire industry. Um, I know that the fact that you need skilled labor is also a reason why the operator operational expense is higher uh, because, you know, you're not just having a normal property manager that does accounting, we're having nurses who are giving people their meds every day. Like it's a, it's not the easiest job. I can, I've, I've, I've been in, in facilities before and I've seen it and it's, it's definitely it seems a little thankless, but um, I wonder how you're approaching that problem. Cause I know if you can't have the labor, just there's nothing you can really do to support the residents. So I'd love to hear your approach to that. What do you think about from a, a macro um, economy level? Like where, like, are we going to, find, find these people. Um, and yeah, how, how are you addressing it? Yeah. So, you know, great, great question. Um, so what we're doing, you know, at Lloyd Jones and Lloyd Jones, you know, Miami based is, you know, we have a subsidiary called Aviva senior living, which is our operations arm. Now Aviva senior living is broken out into four regions. We have the Northeast, the Southeast, the Midwest, and the Southwest. Each of these four regions is going to have its own CIO, uh, and COO. The CIO is going to be, you know, running point on the underwriting, the acquisitions, and the asset management, whereas the COO is going to be, you know, largely living within close, you know, reach to these different properties for operational oversight. And then supporting these four regions is going to be two to three, you know, what we're calling transition teams. Now, these transition teams, they're all over the United States, but when there's 
there's a staffing shortage or, you know, an executive director that, you know, maybe, maybe there's a job opening for whatever reason, they will be able to go in and fill those roles. So it is a corporate role paid for by the management fee that we will actually, you know, send somebody out there, whether it's a director of nursing, you know, director of, you know, uh, services, director of, um, you know, activities, or even the executive director of the property will have somebody go in there and be able to fill that need. So yes, there is definitely a staffing shortage, um, you know, and then kind of one of the other metrics is yes, these properties are more expensive to operate, but the rents are also materially more than a multifamily deal. You know, just, just kind of taking a step back when you look at a multifamily deal, and this is just all complete arbitrary numbers, right? So you have a one bedroom apartment and multifamily, a thousand bucks a month. Just the, the, the sheer transition of going from a multifamily deal to an age restricted deal, an age restricted deal, your, your average resident, you know, stay is going to be seven years and the rents are going to be anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20% higher than a multifamily deal. So your rents automatically go from a thousand to call it 1200. Your operating expenses are going to go down because of less unit turns. Um, and then as soon as you go into independent living, you're going to have really the only difference between age restricted and, uh, you know, independent living is, um, you know, food and, and the, the three meals a day. And typically in, in, in IL property will have a full service commercial kitchen. So, you know, you're providing meals. You're also providing, you know, typically like, a, they'll have a barber, they'll have a library, they'll have a salon the level of amenities, because this is everything that they're going to need to live comfortably is going to be within the property, as well as like a bus to take them out shopping and take them to different activities around town. Um, you know, so senior living deals are really underwritten on operating margin ratios, as opposed to a strict OPEX over total revenue, because as you get the variances in care with any sort of community, you know, you might have, you know, 10% of the property be um, memory care and 90% of the property be independent living or assisted living. You're going to have to balance out from an underwriting standpoint, what that true operating margin is, because when you mash it all up into one income statement, and then you start doing that kind of high level analysis, it'll definitely be skewed because of the ratios within that actual community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess to bring this into the to the market, um, inflation hits the costs and hits the the top line. Um, yeah. One of the great things about real estate is that when there's inflation, you you know, <laughs> rents are part of the thing that gets inflated. So you're kind of hedged against inflation. But yeah. the thing is, when your costs are high in senior living, that might even be squeezing your margin if it's in lockstep, which um, hopefully it's not. But I want to know if that's something you underwrite um, and if that is something that can be mitigated and like, is there, is there a risk there? Yeah. So definitely, um, you know, it's, it's something that we pay attention to um, typically in our underwriting, unless it's a true opportunistic buy with a lot of meat on the bone, um, 
we're we're pretty conservative in our rental growth rates. You know, in multifamily, when I was you know helping on acquisitions, um, you know we would underwrite to twelve percent rent growth year one, then throttle back to like eight percent, then maybe seven percent, especially when we were just seeing these crazy, insane rental prices, right? Um, senior living, we're typically underwriting to three to four percent rent growth. You know, understanding that the rising costs and those rising rising margins are going to negatively impact the return profile. However, when we actually are operating the property, we're going to kind of be in line with the market. So although we underwrote a 3%, it might be closer to like a 7%. Um, you know, being able to follow, you know, fair housing guidelines and apply it to all the residents equally. So from that standpoint, we were really looking to under-promise and over-deliver as far as the return profile is considered. But yeah, I mean, everybody, whether it's the, you know, Starbucks here in Ponte Vedra or it's, you know, a senior living community in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, this, this, the, the rate of inflation and cost of living is just absolutely crushing everybody, you know, regardless of the industry. Yeah, that makes sense. So back to the fact that there's a, um, like a shortage of new supply, I know that given that it's not just a normal multifamily, um, there's a lot more, I guess there's more permitting and there's more difficulty given government regulation. And um, I kind of want you to just paint a picture of why it might be more difficult to develop uh, senior living and, you know, how you might address that. And um, is it, yeah, is there certain reasons why um, it's more difficult to build? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, other than, you know, the supply chain issues brought on by COVID, you know, the macroeconomics going on around the world between Ukraine, Russia, um, you know, I mean, even even China is, is concerned, um, you know, what we're doing um, as far as being able to meet the demand. Uh, so each state has its own licensing requirements. So these senior living deals are structured in a way that has an operating company and a property company. Property company actually has the building, the asset, everything, and then the operating company will have its own set of licenses. So there's def there's definitely a, a, a technical and legal backend um, that's much more complex. But what we've actually done and are doing is hotel conversions. So mm -hmm. You've got these extended stay hotels that are anywhere from, you know, mid-rise to, you know, seven stories to 12 stories. Um, they have their own little kitchenettes um, already in there is we're actually going through and we're converting these. So we're working with the state, the county, being able to revamp these extended stay hotels into independent living or even assisted living communities because they've already got all of the you know, they have the commercial kitchen, they have the large dining areas, they have everything you need to be able to make it a really well-built senior living community, um, as opposed to going out and building right now. We have we have a couple of deals under construction, which, you know, like any other builder right now is facing supply chain issues. Um, so that's, that's definitely hampering our, our ability to, you know, really anybody's ability to quickly and efficiently deliver new product. That's also in line with the middle market price point. 
that's exceptional that you, you hotel conversions i i not thought of that so that i mean that makes sense like it is a hospitality product in a way you know it's a community rather than a um just a, you know, a roof <laughs> you yeah know? so but yeah that's that's yeah. really that's really exciting actually and um i'm gonna have to ruminate on that <laughs> so um you know lastly before we get to the lightning round i'm just curious to to hear what you what you think is i think the the most unsettling or the most uh interesting weird part about senior living is that a vacancy doesn't means that you know someone might have passed on to somewhere else besides their their next living residence um so i wonder how you address that in terms of a um you know turnover and um, like you know i guess re reoccupancy and then also from a standpoint of you know or if lifespans are increasing is that also going to be a factor in terms of um making there be fewer vacancies and more demand and more of a difficulty i don't know if that's something that you've you factored a thousand in. percent i mean you just hit the nail on the head you know a one year and i actually just learned this the other day a one year extension in life expectancy is going to grow the demand by 50%. So what you're seeing right now, the probability of people living to 100 that are 18 right now is, is you know, I think it's over 40 or 50%. So life, expect, life expectancy is increasing. The quality of care is improving. The ability to extend lives is significantly increasing. Um, you know, and then as far as, you know, we, we do have residents pass away. Um, you know, it's definitely, you know, senior living is definitely has a, has a greater emotional, um, component that, you know, traditional apartments don't. Um, but as far as like, you know, new residents right now, uh, moving somebody in is very much a, um, family decision. And, you know, when you go out and you get an apartment, you know, you might walk into the leasing office, tour an apartment, shoot a few texts. You might even sign a lease that day. You know, with senior living, there's typically anywhere from eight to 12 interactions between the sales director and the new resident and the new resident's family before they actually choose to move in. It's a family decision. It's a very impactful decision. Um, and a lot of instances, it's a very emotional decision you know, because we don't want to be, you know, me as a son, I don't want to be that son that just went and took his, you know, put his mom in a nursing home like that. Just there, there's a stigma around it that we're really trying to address and shape. Um, so the, the one component that, you know, some of the metrics that I talked about, you know, at the beginning of the conversation about, you know, the one to one and a half million unit shortfall, that doesn't take into account, you know, the, the growing life expectancy that we're already starting to see in seniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very interesting. And um, I guess I wonder if fast forward many years down the line, is that, do you think that the population being smaller of younger people, is that going to be a problem for the sector? Is it going to end up being oversupply? Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking 75 years, um, you know, 50 to 75 years in the future. Um, 
you know, I, I guess that that'll be a TBD, um, you know, 75 years. I hope I'm around. Ho hopefully they, you know, find something, find something really creative to do. Uh, but, but as far as that's concerned, um, yeah, I, I don't really know how to, to, to answer that one. That's good. That's a, it's a fine answer because I don't think anyone's a genie. Um, so yeah, that is, that is too, too far down the line to do anything more than speculate. Um, yeah. With any, even speculate with any degree of certainty is, is pretty improbable. Um, I only, I only ask cause I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 21 and you know, when I think about my investments, I think about like really long term and that's kind of yeah. why i love multifamily because i know that people love roofs and population tends to grow up and land does not grow so yeah i'm pretty good as an investor if, if i'm if i'm uh in in multifamily but um absolutely yeah it's a it's, real estate's awesome um well on that note you ready for the lightning round yes let's do it so what superpower would you want if you could have any superpower fly hands down that's the most popular in real estate. You know, make sure you don't have any roof damage. <laughs> so what's your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most? Um, I would say Jocko Willing's Extreme Ownership um, or David Goggins Can't Hurt Me. You know, David Goggins, that book was just, I mean, you just read it and you're just like, holy shit, like how does this guy even do what he's doing? Like, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but, you know, he went through you know, SEAL training three times, or I guess buds, um, three times, you know, his last round, his final round, his last ditch effort, he, he, he duct taped his legs, you know, because he had broken, broken feet and broken shins. I mean, the guy is an absolute beast. So yeah, I would definitely say, you know, um, Jocko Willings, extreme ownership or, or David Goggins can't hurt me. Yeah. David Goggins is He's amazing. I listened to podcasts with him. I have not read his book yet, but um, but I would ownership. do the audio book, the audio yeah. book of David Goggins, because there there's a lot of anecdotal uh, talk uh, within the audio book that that you wouldn't get in just reading the book. Yeah, and that's what I love about extreme ownership because uh, Jocko Willink is was is reading it, but um, he's you know telling you the stories and it's, it's it doesn't sound like it's from the book. It sounds sounds to you like he's telling you war stories and he's telling you business stories and then he's yeah. giving you his real lessons. So, yeah, that so was amazing. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely recommend. Um, so what motivates you to continue every day? You know, I've got uh, you know, two two beautiful uh girls, you know, ages six and nine. Um, you know, definitely being able to, you know, provide and you know, give them a a lifestyle that I certainly did not have growing up. And then I mean Quite honestly, just I love doing deals. I love the relationships. You know, I love being able to, you know, help people. You know, people have, you know, just like quite literally just piles of money that they have to invest and they they want to do it in a smart and strategic manner. So I like being able to, you know, work with people and, you know, not only deliver, deliver um, you know, performance from an asset performance perspective, but also a financial perspective. And now in this role, you know, as head of investor relations, being able to work with accredited investors and actually allow them into, you know, take ownership into some of our deals. Great. And um, recommend getting uh, rich dad, poor dad for teens for them very soon. Um, yeah. Got to get them early with the, with the real estate goodness. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. So what advice would you give to someone who, who wants to follow in your footsteps? 
You know, I would say don't get caught up in the moment. Um, you know, there there's going to be just some shit days. Um, but I would say keep making progress every day. Um, you know, whether it's five minutes or whether it's an hour, uh, just just keep working on your craft every day, whether it's starting a business, you know, every day you're not working to improve, you're going backwards. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely fundamental to, to uh, being a, a lifelong learner. So that's awesome. Um, since I put you on spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So what's one question you have for me? Um, you know, I guess from a, from a macroeconomic perspective, how do you see the next five years shaking out just in, just in the real estate industry in general? Yeah, I see, I, you know, the, the, the hardest part is to see how far we've come up and if that is, you know, fundamentally because of, yeah, because of the fundamentals or if because some, you know, just inflation in the money supply just increased, just yeah. money just had to flow somewhere, right? And um, so everything bubbles up because of that. So, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, as much as, I mean, it, in terms of what I'm thinking about, it, it really depends on what the Fed wants to do with the money supply. They grew it by 40%. That had a great impact on real estate. And obviously these prices in real estate wasn't just a function of the money supply increasing as a financial vehicle. The yeah. rents increased because the wages increased and because the you know demand increased. And so like it's not it, you know, it doesn't seem like it's bubbled disproportionate to the rents that we're achieving, but definitely still seems to have inflated a lot. That being said, so what you're actually seeing, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. you know, just on the demand side, on the apartments kind of mirrors what we're going to see in senior living. You had all these Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, and the millennials, you know, moving out of, from their parents' homes, needing their first apartment. Mm -hmm. So you saw this massive demand demographic enter the market without available housing. And it just happened to come at a time of, you know, post pandemic. You know, so like just just to kind of reiterate, like we just saw it happen with apartments. The same thing is building on seniors and it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, from that, Mike, like, I guess that's a, a macro picture. But from that, like that application in just like senior living, like <clears throat> definitely seems like that fundamental is stronger than any of the speculation I'm doing about like the, the asset prices. Cause it really matters yeah. that you have strong yield. That's <clears throat> good risk adjusted and it's stable and it's, you know, you know, it's, it's tied to an actual like good reason in the economy. But um, to get back to, to where I think things are going, the fed is taking money out of the, the, the taking money out of the money supply as they realize they did too much. I don't really believe that they can do it for that long before they don't want to anymore, honestly. Yeah. I think that inflation is in the best interest of the people of the government and they're going to want to keep doing that. It's a way of taxing without cutting people's incomes. Um, so it's, it, you know, there's a lot of debt on their books that they have to pay for and inflation is how they pay less for that. Um, yeah. So I don't believe that they're going to continue to bind themselves and make it harder for them to pay back the debt, their debt. And I think when they have the power 
to avoid paying debt. They're going to avoid paying debt. Um, I think that's that's fundamental to a why I believe rates have to come back down and will come back down. Yeah. Um, easing the tension in the that we currently are experiencing. Um, and that being said, I believe even at these rates, um, if you get good discounts on prices, I want to do that because I want to buy I want to buy there because if my basis is lower, and even though my cash flow might not be great, when rates come back down. That's going to put upward pressure on prices. Then I can refinance, cash out that money. I have yes. a more expensive asset. I have amazing cash flow now, and I got it all at a discount because you can never fix your basis. You can never fix what you paid for a property, but you can fix your interest rate in the future. And yep. so I'm, I'm, I'm bullish. I'm also 21 and I have a long time horizon, so I'm very bullish. But um, that's kind of where I see things going in the short term. Awesome. I completely agree with you, Ben. Awesome. Well, this was a great conversation. Um, I hope everyone listening learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot about about senior living. Uh, I think I hope everyone's as excited as <clears throat> Stuart and I are after uh, after you know hearing the, the fundamentals of the investment. But um, yeah, Stuart, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank thank you very much, Ben. Awesome. Well, Stuart and everyone, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.